have really four foundational texts in Genesis that we're going to go to in just a moment. But I'm excited. I'm excited. I told my divine helper, I said, Mrs. Flowers, we're going to need to double team hell on this one. Yeah, we're going to need to double team this one. In the middle of the sermon, I'm going to call her up. And I said, okay, we need to double team this one because two are better than one. And this is affecting, well, really, we got three. So when she walks, she's two. <laughs> so there, there's some things that I feel as though need to be broken from a male perspective and also from a female perspective. And I prayed, I said, God, I need you to pour out a double portion. A double portion of your anointing, a double portion of your grace because the anointing breaks yokes. I don't even have time to bother that. Well, yes, I will, just for a second. <laughs> I want you to know that a yoke was a wooden frame that they would put on oxen. In agriculture and farming, sometimes the soil would be so hard that they would put this yoke on the oxen so that the oxen, these beasts of an animal, can help plow the soil because it's hard and we want the soft part of the soil to come up so when we scatter seed, it can take root. That's why if you see these tractors in the middle of fields, they're pushing up all this smoke. It's because the ground is so hard and it's trying to break it up. Well, in ancient times and other parts of the world that still do this, they have these oxen that would walk around with this plow and they would be plowing with this yoke on their neck. And as I studied this, this kind of messed me up. They didn't put the yoke on the oxen when it was fully grown. They put the yoke on the oxen when it was a baby. They put the yoke on the oxen when it was in its youth. So it would get used to feeling what it feels like to be yoked up. I want you to get used to this weight on you so that you never fight it. So that when you're grown, you have already been classically conditioned to carry this yoke. Let's modernize this. I want to give you pornography exposure in your youth. So when you experience puberty and get older, you don't fight it, but you just succumb to the temptation of a perverse society. I want them used to the yoke. I want to expose you to alcoholism when you're young. I want you to see your mama drunk, your uncle drunk, your daddy drunk. So when you're exposed to it in high school and exposed to it in middle school, it's not foreign to you. You are used to wearing this. So I said, God, give us a double portion because there's some yokes that need to break in the house and online. Bondage needs to be broken. Arrogance needs to be broken. Can I get somebody to do this? Get this off me. I need you to like shrug your shoulders like you're tired of depression, like you're, like you're tired of anxiety, like you're tired of being doubtful, like you're tired of being an overthinker. Say, get this off me. The anointing breaks yokes so we need a double portion so that we can expose and crush this undetected weapon that is wreaking havoc on our minds on our spirits and on our souls because what else is causing for there to be death in our marriages 
What else is an assassin to our relationships in singleness and a destroyer of homes? What else has caused for us, when we reflect back on childhood, we don't even have beautiful memories. It's more like nightmares. What else I'm talking about has caused for us to be a people who cannot listen without being offended? cannot fellowship without being overly protective and can't love without the paranoia of they gonna hurt me too everybody's fake they just trying to use me I can't trust people I can't trust people I said God use this word so that it could heal your people to such a degree that when love knocks on the door of your heart fear will not cause for you to act like you're not home did y'all hear what I just said Heal to such a degree that when love knocks on the door of your heart, fear won't cause you to act like you're not home. I'm talking about the cancer to intimacy. Yet the virus of our relationships and covenant, the disease to our spiritual growth, and it's undetected. You know why it goes undetected? Because it's our normal. <laughs> What do you do when the problem is you're normal and you don't see it as a problem because it's normal to you and you have friends who normalize it as well? So I can't really dissect that this is unhealthy because I'm hanging around a whole bunch of unhealthy people and we have all learned how to function in unhealthy lifestyles. This undetected weapon goes by the name of dysfunction. Dysfunction. Dysfunction dysfunction the things that are lower than what God wants us to reach for somebody say dysfunction dysfunction, dysfunction is a downward pull that's all it is it pulls your personality down it pulls your joy down it pulls your faith down dysfunction and here's the thing about dysfunction dysfunction does not always show up looking like dysfunction preaching already <laughs> dysfunction does not always show up looking like dysfunction because the enemy let me give you Bible the words that the Bible gives to Satan as an attribute are words like crafty cunning so Satan has a methodology of putting himself in places that looks like he belongs there in church, you can't spot me because I'm putting myself in an atmosphere that looks like I belong there. This is why in Eden, he came as a snake and not a hippopotamus. Because it would have been obvious to Eve if a hippopotamus starts talking to you because hippopotamuses don't belong in gardens, but snakes do. He puts himself in situations and places that looks like he belongs there. He opens doors that look like God doors, but they're really spiritual ambushes playing dress up. He sends counterfeits that looks like what you prayed for, but it will really be your demise if you don't have some discernment. He is crafty and he is sneaky because... He is one who comes as an angel of the light, the master of disguise. Say it backwards. He disguises himself as the master. Crafty. So we can't really see when dysfunctions show up. Perhaps this is the thief 
of your joy and your relationships, despite the fact that you're trying to make something work that was never God's will and you're praying for God to bless what hell sent. That's a whole other sermon that we already dealt with before. But what is the thief to your joy and relationships? There's dysfunction in it. Why is your marriage so rocky and on life support? It's because there's dysfunction in it. Why is your childhood overshadowed by so much pain? It's because there was so much dysfunction in it. When a child grows up in a combat zone, please hear me. When we grow up in a combat zone, by default, dysfunction feels comfortable. Did y'all hear what I just said? Because when I'm used to combat, this means I'm used to fights. I'm used to violence. I'm used to nuck if he bug, boy. I'm used to bullets flying. I'm used to people being cursed out. I'm used to surviving because I have grown up in a combat zone. So I, I look for atmospheres that are dysfunctional because it is my normal. And until we have teachings like this and series like this, we will always gravitate to familiar chaos at the expense of foreign peace. Did y'all hear what I just said? We will always gravitate to familiar chaos at the expense of foreign peace. Because when you grow up in a combat zone, peace is a trigger. Peace is a trigger. The reason you don't really like church too much. Some of y'all looking suspect at me. It's cool. <laughs> you have a bad taste in your mouth of church and community and Bible study. It's because the former church that you went to or the church that your mother took you to or the place that you grew up calling church, there was a lot of dysfunction in it. Like, is it possible that there are churches that exist today that are existing in ways that God never intended? Yeah, I got church hurt. I understand. But you went to a place that called themselves a church that was functioning in a way that God never intended. Jesus himself went into the synagogue, went to church, and saw things in it he didn't like. They were taking advantage of people and making it into a marketplace. He didn't like it as well. But he didn't stop going to church. I know. <laughs> Bad taste in your mouth because it's possible that I was exposed to something that was functioning in a way that God never intended it to be. What if the way you're carrying your body, you're carrying it in a way that God never intended it to be? What if your mind and your mouth, you're producing and meditating on things in a way that God never intended for it to be? What about our sexual experiences? We caught so many bodies. What if we are carrying our bodies and our sexuality in a way that God never intended and we got used to it? Used to it. Somebody say dysfunction. Dysfunction, dysfunction, dysfunction. What, what does dysfunction attempt to do? Dysfunction attempts to get us to repeat what broke you. Did y'all hear what I just said? 
It's going to get real in here all today. I already prepared. Don't be prepared for much feedback because you're speaking to a chain that most people don't even recognize they have or they desire to be free from it. And I'm going to use you as an oracle to expose some stuff, to break the secret cries and the secret tears and the silent screams that my people are having. They can come to the house of God and lift their hands, but at night they want to be free. During the week they want to be free. Some of us are disgusted with the activities that we're engaged in. And God is saying, don't just speak to it. I want to speak to the thing to let them go. Dysfunction. Dysfunction. Dysfunction attempt is to get you to repeat what broke you. What mama did that broke her, repeat that. What daddy did that broke him, repeat that. What your grandfather, Uncle Ray Ray, Aunt Sheila, what they did, I want you to repeat that so that the broken cycle of brokenness and dysfunction will never be seen as a stronghold because it's normalized. Dysfunction, dysfunction, dysfunction is hell's attempt to bookmark your story. You're not going to get past this. You're not going to overcome what happened to you when you were molested. You're never going to stop smoking weed. You need this to escape the pain. You're not going to get over this. It's an attempt to bookmark your story. But I just have a sneaky suspicion that there are people under the sound of my voice and watching online. Well, you have this posture. It may have been a chapter in my life, but I refuse to let it be the title of my life. Who am I preaching to? Yes, it happened, and I did it, but I'm not it. I had succumbed to it, but I am not it because there's something called the blood. I know I'm new school, but I grew up old school and there was this hymn that we used to sing. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Not weed, not alcohol, not cheap sex, not the hookah bar, not the strip club, not a relationship. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So I can stand boldly before the throne of grace. I can pray without condemnation. I can lift my hands without shame. I can exalt my voice without guilt. I can come before God and not feel condemned because the blood covered it. I'm not in all state, but I'm still in good hands. The blood covered it. The blood covered it. Somebody say the blood. That's not old school. That's doctrine. The blood covered it. It may have been a chapter. For some of us, it was just a page, but it's not the title of your life. Dysfunction, dysfunction, dysfunction. The enemy knows that dysfunction is the breeding ground for trauma. This is how I get trauma to grow. And this is how we get trauma bonds. Like I said on Therapy Thursday, what is a trauma bond? It's when the abuser and the abusee formulate an attachment created by fake love and wounded emotions that feels so familiar between her and feels so familiar between him that we are attracted to each other. Some of us are attracted to people and you don't even know why. It's because spirits attract and our dysfunction click. Not y'all. We just understand each other. No, your dysfunctions just are alike. We just get along so well. No, your dysfunctions are just so much alike. 
And until we heal, we will always find chemistry with those who have similar dysfunction dynamics. Preach Holy Spirit. Dysfunction. And the reason we're going to plow hard on this on this afternoon is because like I told us in March during our Destiny Decision Series, it's going to be hard for you to take destiny steps with dysfunctional people. Somebody talk to me. It's going to be hard for us to take destiny steps with dysfunctional people. And I need God to show me in my life. See, culture calls it dysfunction. Kingdom calls it strongholds. Expose, oh Lord, the strongholds in my life that are keeping me stuck in a season that you want me to leave. Can I go a little deeper? My family and I, we had our end of the year physical. And this particular doctor I haven't gone to in seven years because I was going to another doctor due to boxing and things like that. So there was this paperwork at the, at the front desk that they told me to fill out. I said, Mr. Flowers, we need you to fill out this paperwork. And I noticed the paperwork said things like, what's the name of your daddy? When is his birthday? What's the name <clears throat> of your mother? What's her birthday? Does your dad have high blood pressure? Does your dad have hypertension? Does your dad have diabetes? Is your mother obese? They ain't asking nothing about me. <laughs> this is the first part. They're not asking anything about me. Look, look at this. The medical field has enough sense to know until we know what's in your blood and what appetites you have been exposed to, I can't properly diagnose you. It's not even Bible. The medical field knows. Let me first figure out what's in your blood and your diets. Why do I say diets? Because sometimes all of y'all have hypertension because all of y'all eat bacon. All of y'all eat ham hocks. All of y'all eat, y'all don't want to talk to me? All of y'all eat fried chicken. And so all of y'all have the same condition because your diets are the same. Some of us have struggles that are not even yours. It's just because you hang with people who consume a diet that you have gotten used to. Talk, Holy Spirit. I don't know why I keep getting drunk. You hang with alcoholics. I don't know why I just keep smoking. Notice you're stronger until you hang out with your weed head friends. Some of us don't even recognize that's their struggle, not yours. You just hang with them and adapt to the struggle. Woo. How free would you be if you got some new friends? Fill this paperwork out because until we know what's in your blood and until we know what diets you're used to, we cannot properly diagnose you. See, some of this stuff has been passed down and we're dealing with it in our relationships today because you caught a dysfunction and didn't even know it. And it's in the Bible. <laughs> I want to show you all this. That was a lot, wasn't it? I know. Genesis 29 I want you guys to see this. There's a little length to it. Genesis chapter 29, verse 10. I want us to see how this has been in Scripture way before you and I got here. Somebody said dysfunction. dysfunction. This passage of Scripture is when Jacob ran from Esau because Esau was going to kill him, and he goes to his uncle's house, all right? So let's check this out. Genesis chapter 29, verse 10, it says, when Jacob saw Rachel, daughter of his uncle Laban, somebody say, we family. we family. 
When Jacob saw Rachel, daughter of his uncle Laban, and Laban's sheep, he went over and rolled the stones away from the mouth of the well and watered his uncle's sheep. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and began to weep aloud. I started laughing uh, when I was reading this. I said, how fine did this woman have to be? <laughs> My wife is fine, but I never kissed her and started crying. And then it says he wept aloud. So I'm thinking, it was, ah, it was like, <laughs> she had to be fine, bro. <laughs> had to be fine. He had told Rachel that he was a relative of her father and son of Rebekah. So she ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he hurried to meet him. He embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his home, and there Jacob told him all these things. Then Laban said to him, you are my own flesh and blood. Somebody say family. family. After Jacob had stayed with him for a whole month, Laban said to him, just because you are a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. What a great question. Imagine you do an application. They say, okay, how much you want to make? <laughs> he says, okay. Now Laban had two daughters, the name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you seven years. She had to be bad, brothers. Seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. All right. Now, I want to show you how much of a man Jacob is because verse, <laughs> the next verse all men can relate to. All right. Um, so Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed only like a few days to him because of his love for her. Look at what he says. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. My time is complete, and I want to make love to her. <laughs> That's what the Bible says. This man's ready. Skip the wedding. Let's, let's, let's go straight to the honeymoon. I waited seven years. He was probably out there working, looking up at her. He said, I only got four more years, baby. <laughs> four more years. Lee, I don't know what you're looking at. You only got four more. Give me my wife. I'm ready to make love to her. But when evening came, he... I'm oh, sorry, verse 22. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah, uh-oh, the weak eyes. He took, I'm reading the Bible, y'all. He took weak eyes Leah and brought her to Jacob, and Jacob made love to her. And Laban gave his servant Zilpah to his daughter as her attendants. When morning came, there was Leah. So jo jo Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? This was so funny to me because I was like, okay, what happened at that feast? <laughs> Some of us, we are honest, church. How many of us went to like a club and it just was turned? Like the party was, oh, all y'all holy. Not one hand went up. There you go. We went, there you go. Be honest. Nobody's going to judge you. We don't throw stones at this church. Don't throw a stone that will be thrown at you if you're behind the scenes everybody knew. Okay, so we're not judging. I mean, the party was just turned. I'm like, bro, how was it that you didn't know? 
what did you drink? <laughs> How dark was it? You couldn't see weak-eyed Leah. And I'm thinking Leah was probably like, oh, my God. Because Jacob waited. He was probably giving her the business. I was waiting for you, girl. I'm just preaching the Bible. I mean, he was putting it down. Seven years, this man cried when he kissed her. <laughs> it's how I read my Bible. I told you, I was a student pastor, so I make the Bible come alive. And then I wondered, did he say Rachel while he was doing the thing? And was Leah just quiet like, I ain't Rachel. <laughs> this is the Bible, y'all. should read it sometime. <laughs> read it. <laughs> Rolled over. The sun hit her weak eyes. And he was like, I did all this to Leah. And he says, how did you, why would you deceive me? Why would you deceive me? Hold on. Jacob, why would you deceive me? And remember, this is his who? Uncle. Okay, so hold on, Jacob. You, you're asking why would you deceive me? But then Rebecca, your mother, told you to put some hair on your arms and make a favorite stew of your father because he's starting to get a little blind and he can't see. You're saying, why did you deceive me? Let me give you more Bible. Genesis 27, verse 18, it says, So he went to his father and said, My father, and he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. Somebody said, that's, that's a lie. I have done just as you told me. Please arise, sit and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how is it you, you found it so quickly, my son? This is what they do to us a lot, okay? He said, because the Lord your God brought it to me. They do that to pastors a lot. I'd be like, how do you know that this is uh, healthy? God told me this is my husband. God told me this is my career move. God, because when we try to use the name of God, like, don't ask no more questions. All right. Because the Lord your God brought it to me. Isaac said to Jacob, please come here that I may feel you, my son, whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, and he felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the, the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him. Similar how you did not recognize Leah. Because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau. So he blessed him, and then he said, are you really my son Esau? He said, I am. Now, can we go a little deeper? Okay, so Uncle Laban is lying to Jacob. Right here, we see Jacob lying to his father, Isaac. Okay, uh, Genesis chapter 26, verse 6. So Isaac, remember his daddy, went and dwelt in Gerar, and the men of that place asked about his wife, and he said, she is my sister. <laughs> for he was afraid to say, she is my wife, because he thought, lest the men of the place kill me for Rebekah, because she is beautiful to behold. Now it came to pass, when he had been there a long time, that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked through the window and saw that there was Isaac showing endearment to Rebekah, his wife. 
Then Abimelech called Isaac and said, quite obviously, bro, quite obviously she is your wife. So how could you say she is my sister? So we have Jacob who was deceived by his uncle Laban. Then we have Jacob who was deceiving his father Isaac. And now we have Isaac who is deceiving the king Abimelech saying that this is not my wife, it's my sister. Now let's keep going. Uh, Genesis chapter 20, verse 1, it says, and Abraham. <laughs> Y'all should read your Bible. It's so good. Abraham is Isaac's daddy, and he is the grandfather of Jacob. Okay. So Abraham journeyed from there to the south and dwelt between Kadesh and Shur and stayed in Gerar. Now Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah but God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Indeed, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Hold on. What we are seeing in the track meet of this bloodline is a dysfunction of falsehood. Abraham is lying about his wife in Genesis 20. Isaac is lying about his wife in Genesis 26. Then we see Jacob lying to his daddy in Genesis 27. And then we see Uncle Laban who's deceiving and tricking Jacob in Genesis 29. Before you judge, there's a baton of dysfunction running in your family tree too. See how quiet it's getting dangerous, see? There's something running in your bloodline that you didn't even know. This is why I'm bent towards this. Ever since I was young, I was just bent towards this particular activity. I don't know why, because you know, in generations before us, what goes on in this house stays in this house. So you're bent towards a struggle that nobody's talking about. Nobody's acknowledging. Nobody's breaking down. Grandma's dealing with it. Papa's dealing with it. Your uncles are dealing with it. But nobody's talking. And you're wondering, why do I keep getting so angry like this? Why does my anger turn into rage? There's something in your blood. Can we go a little deeper? I begin to think, okay, hold on a second. Dysfunction doesn't just travel vertically. It also travels horizontally. Because Rebecca was the one who married Isaac. And she's the one that took part in deceiving her husband Isaac in the first place. See, because who you date and who you marry are travel documents for dysfunction. They're the travel documents. This is how dysfunction exists from bloodline to bloodline because we clicked in the name of dysfunction. Can we go a little deeper? Rebecca's favorite son was Jacob. Isaac's favorite son was Esau. Later down the line, Jacob's name is turned to Israel and he has a son. And his favorite son is Joseph. Out of all of the sons, his favorite is Joseph. Notice how now in the bloodline we see dysfunction and favoritism. And you're wondering why am I like this? Can I mess this up? I know there's people not going to like this. Make sure you listen to the context of what I'm saying because people take a sound bite out of context. You can't provide therapy to a demon. 
You can't counsel a spirit. You can't. I'm all for therapy. You know I'm not that pastor. We have therapy Thursdays. But some stuff we're dealing with is a spirit. Okay? And demonic spirits don't receive therapy. You can't counsel demonic spirits. You have to cast them out. Now look, a stronghold is not always a devil or a demon, but it is a place where devils and demons work from. Okay? Now, love covers a multitude of sins. When somebody loves you, they tell you the truth. This is why it's dangerous for you to hang around people who like you but don't love you because the truth will set you free. This is why certain people are so sensitive because strongholds make you defensive to truth. Because there's a place in my life that has established ownership. When somebody loves you, they say, you lied. Girl, you know you're playing that dude. You don't even like him. Why, why you talk to your wife like that, bro? Who do you have in your life who corrects you? And how do you digest their correction? Let's speak around this thought, this subject. Mr. and Mrs. Dysfunctional. Mr. and Mrs. Dysfunctional. Because my desire and my wife's desire on this afternoon is to ensure that their dysfunction does not have to be your cycle. One more time. Mama's dysfunction, daddy's dysfunction, wherever you have gone or experienced it, it does not have to be your cycle. I may have experienced it, but I don't have to become one with it. God, would you allow a chain-breaking anointing to permeate this atmosphere on this afternoon? Even people watching online, there is no distance that could stop the power of your anointing, the power of your grace, and the power of your love. Would you expose every dysfunctional, every unhealthy way? We recognize that dysfunction is living beneath the standard of kingdom citizenship. Help us to be kingdom. Help us to be godly. Help us to be honest so that we can stop blaming you for seasons that are prolonged. Expose the dysfunctional speech, the dysfunctional habits, the dysfunctional cravings, the dysfunctional appetites. Because God, truly, we want to be free people. There's a difference in being free and being delivered. When you're delivered, just your location has changed. But your mind hasn't caught up. But when you're free, you could be in the same place, but your mind has been relocated. Change our minds, oh God. That's where repentance is, a changing of the mind. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody who agrees with that prayer would just shout in the room, amen. Amen. So I I want us to say this confession, and then I'm going to have my bride come to the stage. We're going to break down some practical things. Can I get everybody to say this in the house and watching online as loud as you can? Father, Father, purge me, me. wash me me. from all dysfunction. dysfunction. I want wholeness. Tear down every stronghold. Father, purge me. Wash me from all dysfunction. I want wholeness. Tear down every stronghold. Is there anybody in the house who believes and receives that? 
tear down every stronghold. Mr. and Mrs. Dysfunction. Now we have a seat for my bride because ain't nothing happening to Josiah while he in New Orleans. You look so good, girl. Want to come up? Stand up. Go ahead. Y'all clap it up for my beautiful wife. Amen. Praise the Lord, everybody. Um, that, was, that was an awesome start, honey. That's great. Um, I wanted to come from the angle when I was looking up the word dysfunction. Um, or when anybody thinks of the word dysfunction, most people go to, like, the severe dysfunction, right? Yeah. Abusive backgrounds, right? Or any type of abuse, verbal, sexual, any type of abuse. Or people think of you know, some sort of poverty or substance abuse problems, right? People automatically usually go dysfunctional. They had a dysfunctional upbringing. But a lot of times we ignore the little dysfunctions, right, that are really destroying us. So you're like, well, I didn't come from that or I, didn't, I don't have that problem. So they're dysfunctional. I'm not really as dysfunctional as that person, right? So um, when I looked up some, some synonyms for, for dysfunction, I came up with some words, and I was like, hmm, these are interesting. So the first one is non-adaptive. So you're not willing to change, right? That's dysfunctional because you think you're good, right? I'm not dysfunctional. That's, that's those people, you know. They, they went through that. I didn't, I didn't have that type of, of lifestyle, right? Um, intolerant, right? You're not patient with other people, you can't deal with others. That's dysfunctional. Impaired, defective, or broken, right? Think of a, a toy or an electronic, right? Anything that's, you know, defective, you don't, you don't, you don't want to use that, but people don't realize you're broken. Some people don't, you don't even realize you're broken. Talk. These are my two favorite ones, deteriorated or debilitated. So when you think about deteriorated, right, I think about somebody's health, right? They're, the person's health is deteriorating. Yeah. You know, the person's health is de declining. Right. They're, you know, ultimately they're at the last ends of their days, right? Yeah. So people, you're letting your dysfunctions kill you, essentially. Yeah. But you're not even recognizing that they're dysfunctions. Wow. So, um... A lot of people want these fruitful, long-lasting, thriving, beautiful, whole relationships. But really, we're broken, impaired, intolerant, not adaptive, deteriorating people. Because we refuse to recognize, really, the little dysfunctions, right? That essentially are ruining our lives and our relationships, because they're not the big dysfunctions, yeah. right? We point out everybody else's dysfunctions, or we recognize other people's dysfunctions, Come but on. ignore, or better yet, justify Come on. the dysfunctions in our own lives, Come on, girl. rather than recognize the dysfunctions in our own lives, because they're small. They're not that big of a deal, yeah. right? And so I have a set of things that you know, the first step, you know, to any recovery, in any recovery problem, they, uh, program, excuse me, is yeah. admitting that you have a problem, yeah. right? That's the first step. And sure. so I have 
a few things that maybe it could not, you know, hey, I'm not going to judge you. This could be you. I want you to think about them. So I have been selfish. Think about it, ponder. This is your moment to simmer. I have been mean. These are all dysfunctions that people like to overlook. I have been fearful. I have been constantly anxious. I have been reckless with my money. I have been a chronic overthinker. I have been extremely lustful. I have been unable to commit to things. You didn't have 15 jobs in one year. You move into this city this year, and this city this year, and this city this year, and this city this year. You've been in about 10 relationships. But you're pointing out everybody else. I have been un... I have been gluttonous. People don't like that. those. These are the things that get overlooked. Yeah. I have been lazy. Yeah. I have been very codependent. I have been severely prideful. But they're not like alcoholism. I'm not a murderer. I'm not a thief. Those aren't the big sins. But all these little things that you ignore, that's why you can't be in a fruitful relationship because you're denying all of these little dysfunctions, right? Now, the reason why I did these statements and I said, I have been, because I don't want anybody today to make that declaration over your life, okay? I don't want anybody to say, I am this. Because in the word it says, call those things that be not as though they were, right? So So I want us to be able to, even if you recognize this is something that I have struggled with or that I'm justifying or that I'm denying or that I don't think is that bad but ultimately is deteriorating my life and my relationships, I want us to then now speak what you will be, okay? So this is what I want you to change to. I was selfish, but now I'm selfless. And this is what God can do to all of us if we recognize it. And if we take the time to stop justifying our dysfunctions and choose God and ask God to help us. So I was mean, but now I'm kind. Do you know there's a lot of people that don't realize they're mean? There's a lot. Christian folks, y'all. I mean, saved, baptized with fire, and just mean. Right? I'm like, are you sure you prayed today? You sure you love Jesus? Because I can't tell. Right? But they don't, that, that's justified. This is just my personality. I'm just direct. Yeah. Right? Everybody can't take me. Everybody doesn't understand my personality. And that's okay. Come on, girl. No, you mean, sis. Yeah. You are mean, and you don't know how to talk to people. Yeah. And then you talk about everybody else that too, they're just too sensitive. Yeah. They just, I'm just too real. Yeah. No, you're mean. You're mean. And that is, and, and clearly says in the scripture that love is patient and love is kind. Yeah. Right? But that's a little, that's a little dysfunction. It ain't that bad. Yeah. Or they'll say things like, it's going to take a strong man to deal with me. Right. Justifying. We don't want to deal with that. Justifying, right? We justify. <laughs> All right. So I want you to change. I was fearful, but now yes. I'm fearless. Awesome. And listen, y'all. Fear is something that could be so, you want to talk about debilitating. Yeah. 
you want to talk about something that can break and ruin relationships, yeah. that can stifle growth, yes. is fear. Yes. And, and that is completely opposite of what God, we cannot have faith in God and operate in fear at the same time. Yeah. Okay, but that is dysfunctional. When you are operating in fear, if you, you don't, you're not trusting God. Yeah. And it could be something that you have seen in your family, yeah. but you don't recognize it because it's not one of the big dysfunctions. Right. So good. Okay. Yeah. I was reckless with my money, but now I am wise and prudent. And if you're going to the first service, you'll hear Pastor really, really talking about finances. This could be a stronghold for a lot of people, y'all. Mm. We justify spending our money on what we want to yeah. and living and, and staying in poverty because we've seen bad cycles of money management. Yeah. So good. And we justify it. And that is dysfunctional. Yeah. And that is continuing a cycle that God doesn't want us to live in because he wants us to live in abundance, not yeah. lack. Yeah. Right? That's dysfunctional. Yeah. All right. I was a chronic overthinker, but now I acknowledge him in all my ways. Y'all that overthink everything, you got a plan Z. You don't have a, a plan A and B and you know, C. You have a plan Z because you're always constantly overthinking. That will ruin a relationship. And it's dysfunctional. I was extremely lustful, but now I have self-control. You can make that declaration today. And that's why we're encouraging you and talking about this particular um, topic. God wants you to be pure. And I know society says one thing. Yeah. I know the world says one thing. I know the media says another. I know that. I know that. I know what's blasted all over the place. I know what your family says and your friends say. Yeah. I know what you probably grew up in. Yeah. But, that, but we want to we go back to the kingdom standard. There it is. Right? Yeah. So I was extremely blessed, but now I have self-control. I was unable to commit, but now I'm stable and steady. Yeah. There is no reason for you to be all over the place. God is not desired, unless you're an evangelist and God has called you out from place to place. There's, you need to learn how to be stable and steady, okay? Okay, an unstable person? Come on, the word of God talks about that. I was gluttonous, but now I have healthier eating habits. We don't want to talk this, about this because we don't like to hurt people's feelings. But that's in the word, y'all. It's an unhealthy habit. And God, the enemy uses that, too, to kill, kill off a generation of people. Yeah. Unhealthy eating, yeah. overeating, overindulgence. Yeah. You don't think the enemy can use that to destroy your life? Yeah. Everybody in my family eats this way, like Jerry said. No, everybody is dying from heart disease and diabetes. Yeah. Is that what we want? Yeah. That's a dysfunction that we like to overlook. It's like, well, just, we, did that. we just all big boned. <laughs> We've heard that term, especially in our culture, big bone people. Okay? And I know people will come in all shapes and forms and sizes. I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about an excuse yeah. justifying yeah. eating a certain way and not being healthy, justifying yeah. not taking care of your temple. Because yeah. our, our body's the temple of the Holy Ghost. Yeah. So we're justifying not taking care of ourselves. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, we just don't do that. Or my hair, or my nails, or I don't got the time. Okay, well, you know what? When you're 55 years old and you're in the hospital, you're going to wish if you would have taken the time to take care of your temple. Yeah. Okay, I was lazy, but now I'm hardworking. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not going to explain that because I was very codependent, but now I can stand in Christ alone. Yeah. 
I'm telling you now, you get into a relationship and be codependent, you're going to ruin your relationship. If you rely on others to make you happy, to fulfill you, he does not make me whole. He does not complete me. Jerry Maguire lied. He does not complete me. Okay? You cannot be codependent. You cannot. That is too much of an expectation to put on another human being. There is no way in all of his amazingness that this man can fulfill my life. You have to learn how to be completely fulfilled in Christ alone. Yes. Okay? And lastly, I was severely prideful, but now I'm humble. And pride is a very, it's a silent killer. Mm. Pride is one of those silent killers. You know, you, most people, when you, when you deal with pride, you may not say anything. Yeah. You know, you, you want to handle it on your own. You want to take care of things on your own. You're like, I got this. I don't need no help. That is, that is such a detrimental thing to all relationships. Yeah. Because we have to rely on Christ and we have to rely on each other. So good. God, created, God didn't create you in the world by, to be by yourself. When you're prideful and you think you got it, you, I'm going to do it by, I don't need nobody else. I got this. Okay, I understand we stand in Christ, but God gave us each other. We're a body of many believers, okay? So We're many members in one body, so we need each other. Yeah. So people that operate in pride, that's dysfunctional and you will not have healthy relationships. If you continue on in these silent, small dysfunctions, and if you continue to justify them. Yeah, so good. See, see that's why I need her up here. <laughs> um, I, I want to show you something because dysfunction wants to give us ails, meaning losses. So I felt like the Holy Spirit gave me a clever way to break down um, what dysfunction wants to do. It wants to give us lids, labels, and leashes. Lids, labels, and leashes. So I, I notice what happens many times when we come to service or we hear a word like this, it blesses you, right? Somebody say it blesses me. So the word comes and it sets you on fire just for a moment, right? Wonderful time, a singles night, the word, the fellowship, what did it do? It sets you on fire. But dysfunction gives you lids. One big lid, and this is why this whole series is about relationships, because who you marry, who you date, will either catapult or capsule your fire. Did y'all hear what I just said? I could change him. No, you can't. If the Holy Spirit is striving and he not yielding to the Holy Spirit, you are not more powerful than the Holy Spirit and God. You don't change men. Men don't change women. God changes people. What, what, what's the lid? Toxic relationships. I see it all the time as a pastor on fire, serving in ministry, hear fire word. You're burning like this. Then you hook up with this person and you're okay for a while. You're still burning for a minute, but then you stop praying, stop serving, stop seeking God, stop coming to community, and then I'll start noticing, hey, where you been? Because I noticed that it started to go right here. Lid. What's your lid? What is a capsule to your fire? A big one is doubt. Jesus could use you if you have mistakes. He could use you if you have a dirty past. 
He could use you despite all of your flaws. The only thing that limits what God really wants to do is doubt. So you're on fire. Hear a word like this, but you allow this lid to go over your fire. You'll burn for a little bit, fake it for a little bit, but after a while, that fire that you have starts to go out. Lids. Labels. Now, labels is interesting to me because labels many times are things that culture will name us as and we will orbit our identity around it. The reason we're talking about lids and labels is because Jesus tells us this in Mark chapter 4, verse 14. It says, the farmer sows the word. Some people are like seeds along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes it away, takes away the word, what was sown. So in church on fire, as soon as you leave, you're back like this. Lids, labels. So a label, when, when somebody struggles, you can take this off from me, you got more nails than me. When somebody struggles, I'm an addict. That's just who I am. Put it on me. So now I'm taking this label and I have my identity with it. I'm an addict. You're not your struggle. Who am I talking to? You're not your struggle. You know what labels are designed to do? Ship things. <laughs> so now, when I identify with this label, I could be shipped towards other addicts. Because labels are what you need to ship things. Another label, many times, now we're going to do... Uh, not enough. This is the original lie of the enemy. You know, that was the first lie he told ever. God knows if you eat this tree, you're going to be like him, knowing the good and the evil. What is Satan telling Eve? You're not enough. And you know what a lot of us are? Put it on me. I'm not smart enough. All up here, no matter. I'm not smart enough. I'm not clean enough. I'm not old enough. I'm not young enough. I'm not educated enough. I'm, I'm not enough. And remember, labels are made to ship you places. Now, this one I want to kind of break down for a second because culture has this one really, really twisted. There's some people who don't want to be married. Some of y'all are like, that's not me. Okay. <laughs> some people don't, and it has nothing to do with pain. They just don't. When they were growing up, they weren't thirsty for girls or thirsty for guys like other people. And I really believe that when a person is like this, God has given, given them the assignment of being a missionary. Like Paul. There are people who really like this. Everybody's not going to get married. And some people don't desire it. So you know what culture does? Put it on me, Ms. Flowers. When, when I don't like certain people, you must be gay. You must be gay. You, you, you don't... Like girls, something wrong with you, bro. You must be gay. You don't like men, something must be wrong with you, sis. You ain't never had you none. You must be gay. And so we start saying, maybe I am gay. Happens in junior high, high school. Maybe I am gay. I am gay. I am. 
So what does the label do? It gives the enemy access to ship you in a place where you could identify yourself with the label. And really, what it was, you were called to be a missionary. And you don't even have that desire because of the work that God has called you to do. Expose this, Lord. It's the work and the assignment and the calling on your life. Nothing to do with your sexuality. But you know how our generation is? We like to change the name of things. You can be what you want. Which one are you? Male, female, no sex, trans? Which one are you? Both? Which one do you identify yourself with? Label. Most pastors won't say this because they'll interrupt the offering and politicians will have an issue with it. I can care less about that. I'm preaching the Bible. And I'm trying to get people to understand, maybe nothing is wrong with you. You just identify with a label. That's not who you are. You just have people label you that for so long, and you start to identify yourself with it. And by default, the enemy is surrounding you with people who also have the identity of that label. That's not who you are. Labels. Somebody say labels. Last label, I'm broke. <laughs> I am broke. I'm like, death and life is in the power of the tongue. Why would you speak, I'm broke? You don't even recognize what you're saying. I'm broke. I'm sick and tired of this. Listen to what you're speaking. I'm not being spiritually deep. I want you to understand that you're speaking words with your mouth. Maybe I'm not broke. I need a a steward right now. What you give me for Christmas? Me. (laughs) Merry Christmas. Get a bow on it. That's all I can. Because I'm not going to go broke trying to impress you. Come here, Torrance. Lids, labels, and this is one of my favorite ones that I've recognized. And then we're going to give you some points and we're done. We're going to go straight to the, the points and we're done. So what I've recognized about Satan, the enemy, is he doesn't mind if you claim Jesus as long as you still play with me. Okay, let's come on over here. Just stay close to me. So even in church, Tanisha can say, lift your hands, lift your hand, Torrance. Yeah, I'll let you do that. (laughs) I'm cool with that. Talk about him in public, spend time with me in private. I'm cool with that. Somebody say, give God a hand clap of praise. Let's all clap and give God a hand clap of praise. I'll let you do that. And looking on the outside, you can't tell that he's stuck to something. And here's the thing about the enemy. He'll let you think you're getting away with it. Kind of walk away a little bit. I'll let you think, hold up, bro. <laughs> hold on, no, no, no. That, that, that investment of, of porn that we do every night, you mine. No, I, I, where you, well, come on back. You, you, you're not free from that. You're not free from that. No, no, no. I, I'll give you this space. But you don't get too far from me. You don't get too far from me. And what he's experiencing now is a stronghold. Right? He's experiencing... A stronghold. But watch this, church. He doesn't know that he has a stronghold until he tries to go to another dimension. Until he tries to advance. As long as he stays in the same place, he does not know about the stronghold. He does not know about the dysfunction. It's when you try to break it. It's when you try to leave from it. It's when you try to renounce it. It's when you try to let it go that it exposes there's something that the enemy has been trying to hold on me. 
this function, appreciate you, bro, this function, it, it's designed to get you to be comfortable with a certain atmosphere. But don't try to leave. Five dysfunctions. I'm going to say the male, and then she's going to say the female, and then we're done, because I think this is about as much as you can handle. <laughs> Dysfunction. The first one that I see that greatly affects us as men is our tough guy syndrome. Tough guy syndrome. And uh, just what God was dealing with me about, why don't we preach more about the fruit of gentleness? You're a tough guy, huh? So you got to be strong. What if I were to tell you your strength is revealed less in your aggression and more your gentleness? Gentleness. What is gentleness? Gentleness is the master of patience. Master of patience. We've already talked about this. What is patience? It is the ability to survive the season of not yet. And it is when you are willing to accept that things go in a different way than what you had planned in mind. When I can master that, gentleness. Somebody say gentleness. Gentleness is when I made a peace treaty with my past and I recognize that I am forgiven so I can forgive myself. Because if I'm not gentle with Jerry, I can't be gentle with Tanisha. And a lot of men, the reason you're not gentle with her is because you're not gentle with you. Can't pour from a place that's in a drought. Gentleness is when you have removed it's supposed to be like to I trust God. That's how men get so controlling. You're supposed to be like this. Wives are supposed to do this. God controls tomorrow and outcomes, not you. When you have let your hands go of how it's supposed to be and you just invest where God has you, this is how I can operate with the fruit of gentleness. Gentleness is the professor of compassion. It is the superintendent of character and the diffuser of an offense. Gentleness. Gentleness is the offspring of humility. You can't be a gentle man without being a humble man. Gentleness. And the more dysfunctions that you unlearn, the more gentle you could be. Philippians chapter 4, verse 5 says it like this. Let your gentleness be known to some men, to all men. The Lord is at hand. Gentleness. Number one. Okay, for women, I, the, the first thing I have is secrecy. In relationships, we can hold some stuff, y'all. Women can hold some things. And then I just think about how women can hide money, right? Mm. And I, it's, it's really a, a fear tactic, right? Because yeah. just in case. And I'm not talking about somebody, you know, being in unfruitful relationships that are not healthy. I'm talking about if you are in a fruitful, loving, committed, God-ordained relationship and you're still holding secrets. Mm -hmm. You're supposed to be one with your spouse. A whole other account okay. we don't even know about. And yeah, there's things that the, the spouse doesn't even know about. And I know women have a tendency to hold things in. Yeah. And so that's something that can deteriorate and kill a, a marriage or relationship. So secrecy is a big thing that, that women have to be able to recognize and identify and be open and honest with, with their spouse. Second, for men, zipper control. Hallelujah. <laughs> zipper control. Real men understand that true manhood is from the neck up, not the waist down. Okay? Roaming eyes lead to roaming feet. You don't have to look at it jiggle when she walked by. I'm being real. You don't. What it's doing in your heart is making it 
be trained to be unfaithful. Sisters, understand this. Sex doesn't keep men. The bait you use to get them might be the bait that you have to keep using to keep them. And the reason I said might is because sometimes that doesn't even work. Sex does not keep men. The fear of God does. It's getting real quiet, and it's okay. It doesn't keep men. There have been the most beautiful, godly women. It doesn't keep their husband. What keeps men is the fear of God. Not your butt, not your boobs, not your kindness is how he fears the Lord. Do you have Bible? I do. I'm glad you asked. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 16. It says, the wise fear the Lord and what? Shun evil. In Job chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and what? Shunned evil. When a man fears God, he will be faithful. This is good, y'all. Give him number two. Three more. We're done. Lost your spot. Okay, number two, I have um, controlling. I think women, because of the society um, or the generation that we may have uh, grown up in or just the situation yeah. that we saw the women in our family, we, we have a tendency to take control, yeah. right? We're very uh, accomplished and very achieved and very smart. We have our own businesses. We own our own homes. We have our own houses. Mm. But then we want to control everything. Yeah. Right, and you can't control a man. And it's like we get a man and we just kind of want him to be an ornament. We don't want him to be a partner. Right, we just like, just be here and share with me what I have. Yeah. Not, let, let, let's not build something together, but I've already done all this and don't come in and ruin it. Ruin it. Just come and be a companion along with me because I've already got this all together. Yeah. A lot of women have a tendency to take control. They control, because... A lot of, I mean, just to be honest, a lot of situations have forced women when you're a single mother. I came from a single mother household. Yeah. I understand having to take control. I understand having to pay all the bills and doing it all yourself and taking care of, of children and raising up and trying to do the best you can so you have it in you to be these strong women, yeah. right? I have to be a strong woman. I don't want to appear weak, yeah. right? Because you don't ever want to be, you don't ever want to appear like somebody has an upper hand on you. Yeah. Right. And so because of that, we have a tendency to control everything. Yeah. Micromanage. You don't like anybody else trying to take control. It's hard for women to let go of the reins, especially when you've been do doing it for so long. Yeah. When you've been doing it for so long and you allow and you and you coming in to, tr to try to, 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 to control something over here, that's yeah. uncomfortable. Because I'm used to doing it all, by, and I can do bad all by myself. So if I can't control this, I don't know. That's a, that's, that's a, that's a scary situation for me. So no, if, if, if I can't control it, then I don't want it. Yeah. But you can't be, I'm going to tell you now, you go, if you want a, a strong man of God, yeah. there is no way, single ladies and married women, that you're going to be able to control him. Yes. I cannot control this man. I can help him. I can encourage him, I can give him advice, but he is not to be controlled. Yeah. As strong as I am before I met him, I had all my own stuff, I was doing my thing, I was traveling, I was living my life. When I met this man, we became partners. I cannot control what he does, what he dress, how he dresses, yeah. 
I'm not saying you can't help a man, but you cannot control him. I know it's really, really quiet. No, that's good. Let's give me these last three and let's go home. I'm going to give my three together. Number three is dysfunctional when a man has withering language. When I mean withering language, under your leadership, she should be blooming. So since she has been with you, do you see her withering or blooming? Withering language. How do you talk to her? Thunder does not grow flowers. Rain does. How do you shower on her? Okay. Number four, saying I apologize or I was wrong are minimal or non-existent. A man who cannot acknowledge that he is wrong is a man who does not repent. So I'm sorry or I apologize or I was wrong should be often, or let's say it modern. My bad. I messed up. If that's minimal, then repentance is minimal as well. Last one, short fuse with a stubborn ear. You know other emotions besides anger, bro. Did a whole panel about it. And it's dangerous when you have a stubborn ear because you need to listen to your helper. And if you don't listen to your helper, she can't help you meet places she was ordained to help you meet. So good. Last three and we're out of here. All right, my last three. I say, I call this verbal annihilation because women have a way with our words. We don't even have to cuss at you. We don't have to say a curse word, but you're going to feel like it when when I'm done with you. Right? Women can cut you down to the lowest common denominator. Okay? And I can be very articulate. Okay? I don't have to scream or yell. Okay? So it doesn't even take all that. But women have a way with their words that is killing not just men, but their children. Okay, the way that you speak to them. And, and let's go ahead and say it, because we're real in here, okay? Cussing your children out, yeah. cussing your husband out, yeah. that's real. Yeah. I know y'all don't cuss in here, it's all right. <laughs> but, I mean, it's, it's the truth, yeah. okay? And it's verbal annihilation, and you don't know what your words are doing to the people that you love. Yeah. Okay, and women, we have to we bridle our tongue. Okay, that's not out of date. It's not old. And I think sometimes we think, oh, this, this is outdated. Yeah. The kingdom of God is always relevant. So okay, his precepts and his plan and his standards are always applicable. Yeah. Okay, yeah. The, the, sec, uh, the fourth one, yeah. overly sexual and seductive. I know what this generation is pouring out. I know what's in the stores and on the racks. I know what you see on the videos and the TV, but a kingdom woman is supposed to dress a certain way. And there are certain trends that we should just not adopt. But then sometimes we even make excuses. Well, it's my birthday, so I can dress like this. My best friend's getting married this weekend, so it's okay for me to wear this dress. Talk. I know. Okay, and you shouldn't be, I know I'm gonna step on some toes, y'all, all right. Sexy is something that a single woman should not desire to be. Because sexy is something that entices sexual arousal. So you should not desire to be sexy for a man, even if he's somebody that you're interested to, in. You should not be enticing. That should not be, I, I like to be sexy. You should not, there's no, I'm not talking about being trendy. Yeah. I'm not talking about being well put together. Yeah. I'm not talking about being well dressed. I'm talking about you are 
deliberately dressing in a way to get a certain type of attention because it makes you feel good about yourself. Being seductive on purpose. That should not be your desire. Modesty is not old-fashioned. It's not old-fashioned. I don't care what, what, what I don't I, I don't care if it's your birthday. I'm being honest because sometimes we justify, we make excuses for special occasions. Okay? And here's the thing. I should only be and this is for married women too. Cuz I don't need to be sexy for any other man. Okay? So even I have to dress a certain way because I represent him. And he, don't no other man need to see me dressed in any old kind of way. He's the only one that's allowed to see it. So some women's like, well, I'm married, so it's okay. But no other man needs to see that. And are you causing some other single man to be desiring over you? I know it's old-fashioned, y'all. But we have to raise the standard. There's just certain things a Christian woman and a godly woman should not wear. Period. There's certain styles that you should not adopt. Yeah, yeah. it's not old fashioned. You got her fired up. Her got the. <laughs> we gotta go, girl. We have to go. Okay. My last one. I'm sorry, y'all. Playing the catch. I'm we gotta sorry. Go. I'm sorry. The last one that women do is emotional blackmail. Yes. Yeah, y'all. We really can take our tears. <laughs> We can take our emotions and we can manipulate really, really good. Okay, and that is something that is dysfunctional and that will destroy relationships. To me, it's self-explanatory. Yeah, yeah, so good. Um, I just wanted to say this so that people are like, ah, that's opinion. No, the Bible says it is better for you to cast a millstone around your neck, throw yourself into the depths of the sea, than for you to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So it's not old-fashioned. That's Bible. Was this good for everybody? Yes. <clears throat> yeah. Went on a little longer, but I, I just wanted us to get this. I don't want us to just be an entertained church. I want us to be an educated church. So what you do with the information is on you. But on Judgment Day, you will not be able to tell God, I never was taught. I don't know. So we want you to learn. So I want to do uh, two appeals really, and then you're going to be free to go. Next Sunday, we're going to close out the Cuffing Season series. I know, but we're going into December, so next Sunday is the last, really, uh, right before Thanksgiving that I want to hit hard on Sex Trap Part 2, because that's really what's messed up a lot of our relationships, is sex. Some married people as well. The sex is messed up because of the dysfunction, so we're going to deal with all of that next week. But I want to to, uh, really, really challenge us. Don't allow this word to be a flash fire. Don't allow it to light you on fire and as soon as you leave, a lid is put on it. Amen? So I want all of us to say this corporate prayer together. Father, I repent from any and every way that displeased you. Help me, God, to recognize that your way is the best way. I renounce ownership of my life and I trust you to rule my life and guide my life. Save me. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that He rose from the grave, 
died for my sins, is the resurrected king, and is coming back for me. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.